Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Will the city of Hamilton and the province tweak COVID restrictions to slow the spread of the Omicron variant? Many nonprofit organizations in Hamilton have lost volunteers due to the pandemic. Will anything come out of Ontario's housing summit on Wednesday? We have reaction to the federal government's latest fiscal update. And today is Pioneer 3 Cent to Leader Day in support of the CHML Children's Fund. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Data suggests that each Omicron case is infecting four to eight times more individuals than the Delta variant, and it is rapidly becoming the dominant strain in Ontario. That is Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's top doctor, who says the new highly transmissible Omicron variant is expected to make up 100% of the province's case count by the end of this month. And with COVID-19 cases rising, how real is the concern in the city about Omicron? Dr. Elizabeth Richardson is the Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Dr. Richardson. Good morning, Rick. Is Omicron already being felt in the city? It is, Rick. Unfortunately, we are uh, feeling it here. We have seen a doubling of our case rate in the past two weeks. So we're up to 62 cases per 100,000. And we are seeing uh, 20 outbreaks, which is up again. And three of those outbreaks already are due to Omicron, two that are in, uh, that happened at social gatherings at West End Pub and at the Homewood Suites in, uh, in an event there, and one at St. Patrick's School. So very much seeing the impact of Omicron already here. Is it spreading as fast as Delta did? It's actually spreading faster. Um, what we're seeing with this particular variant is a doubling time that is as low as three days. And as you heard from uh, Dr. Moore yesterday, we're seeing that this is in every case of Omicron is infecting another four to eight people. So growing very quickly. It's very transmissible. We're still not quite sure in terms of the severity that it causes, whether it will be more severe or not. But even if it was less severe because of that speed of spread, it's going to have a significant impact on our community and potentially a significant impact on our healthcare system. So we're most concerned, of course, about protecting those who are most vulnerable to those severe outcomes. So people in our long-term care homes and retirement homes, and that's why you heard more measures announced for those homes yesterday, as well um, concerned about those who are immunocompromised, those who are over 50. And so you're seeing that expanded eligibility and we're working hard to get more uh, vaccine appointments up on our system as soon as we can with our health system partners across primary care and the hospitals. And of course, we've announced some more uh, measures for schools, even though they closed this week, um, we are asking them to take some additional measures to reduce spread there. What kind of measures are being undertaken in schools? So in schools, what we've asked them to do as much as possible to go back to active screening um, to um, ensure that they are not having people, not having kids come into school that are sick. We are asking them as well to look at um, any social gatherings that were planned and not hold those um, over the uh, remainder of the time that kids are in school and as well asking them to um, keep to their cohorts at recess so that kids are not mixing as much. You just mentioned the word social gathering. We uh, have already seen some public health um, units in this province. Uh, Kingston, Windsor-Essex uh, kind of uh, renew some restrictions or tweak some restrictions regarding social gatherings. We just had a large social gathering here in Hamilton called the Grey Cup. Could that have been or could it be a super spreader event? Yes, we did just have the Grey Cup. And, you know, it's amazing just how quickly things change in a week um, with this Omicron variant and the spread that we're seeing. And so it's, it's possible that we'll see um, things that are related to the social gatherings that happened around the Grey Cup. The Grey Cup itself was 
good in that it was outdoors. We knew that people were vaccinated and we are definitely still anticipating that the vaccine is going to have some impact against the spread of Omicron. Um, but there's potential that the other social gatherings uh, may have an impact. And of course, any social gatherings that continue to go on are a risk. And particularly, again, for those that are at highest risk, those who are older, those who are immunocompromised, have cancer treatment. So very much encouraging people who fall into uh, those categories not to go to social gatherings as we go forward. And for the rest of us, um, to do that personal risk assessment. What's our own health like? Um, what is the health of our family members like, and to limit our social contacts overall. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Medical Officer of Health for the City of Hamilton. We are chatting about the impact of the Omicron variant. Uh, With the arrival of Omicron, uh, are any new or revised restrictions being considered in our city, or are we waiting for the province to say, hey, this is what we're doing now? No, these are very much um, under consideration here in Hamilton. We are in discussion with the province, as you know, with the uh, Chief Medical Officer of Health. We uh, keep in touch and we discuss what we think is most relevant in each situation. As you said, you've seen communities already have to go to those enhanced measures. Some of those started earlier and were due to Delta. We did expect an upswing in Delta cases, and we've seen that in some communities, and some are due to Omicron, as you see in Kingston, with now... 280 cases per 100,000 per week, which is very, very high. And there, um, they've implemented very strict measures. So we're in discussion with the province about the measures we're going to be instituting here, just how far we go. And we'll expect to hear more on those over the, the next couple of days. How will this new variant of concern impact holiday gatherings? Is there recommendations that are being made? Yeah, when it comes to holiday gatherings, this is really what we were talking about earlier about social gatherings overall. We are recommending that people you know, review those gatherings, keep them small, um, think through what you might be able to do if you've got people who are vulnerable or are vulnerable yourself in terms of age or being immunocompromised on cancer treatment, not going to those kinds of gatherings, not holding those kinds of gatherings in your home, but rather participating virtually. So I think when we're thinking about any of these things, we can you know, look at what we can do ourselves rather than waiting for specific announcements. Really, it's a call for um, all social gatherings to be thought through Uh, limited in size, being careful, limit the number of gatherings you might go to and and overall reduce uh, uh, the attendance at those. As well, remember those public health measures work. Masking is a really important piece. I have seen, unfortunately, recently when I've been out, more people not wearing them appropriately. And so remembering it needs to cover the the nose uh, all the way down to the chin, be well-fitting. A three-layer mask is best, and uh, and changing or washing that mask frequently as well. Hand hygiene is very important. Staying home if you're ill with any symptoms and getting a test um, if you do have those. So those are all important measures we can all take. We've done it before. It makes a huge difference. We need to do it again. Lastly, and we only have about a minute for this, Premier Doug Ford will make an announcement this afternoon at 2, and uh, we're, we're hearing it's about COVID-19 booster doses. What do you hope to hear later today? Well, with booster doses, we are very uh, interested in getting the the ability to deliver those up. And so we are working very hard with our healthcare system partners to look at how we can ramp up the number of doses we can uh, get out um, over the next couple of weeks. And so we know that these uh, do make a difference. What we're seeing from the early uh, days of the science on Omicron is a third dose, particularly for those at highest risk, can make a difference in terms of severe disease outcomes. So likely uh, Premier Ford is going to talk more about how we can work together to do that. Dr. Richardson, always appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us and enjoy your day. Thanks so much, Rick.
That's Dr. Elizabeth Richardson, Medical Officer of Health with the City of Hamilton, giving us the latest on the Omicron variant here in Hamilton. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It is more important than ever to get the third dose uh, and get the protection that it offers against a new enemy being Omicron. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. That is the voice of Dr. Kieran Moore, Ontario's Chief Medical Officer of Health, who says booster shots are an effective defense against the Omicron variant, which is expected to become the dominant variant in this province by the end of the month. So the question that many people are asking themselves and each other is... Should Ontario tweak its plan for tackling the pandemic? Let's ask our next guest, James Thiessen, Associate Professor, Global Management Studies and Director, Master of Health Administration at Ryerson University. James, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. So we heard from Dr. Kieran Moore yesterday who says recommendations are being brought to the provincial government to have more of a consistent provincial approach in battling Omicron. So should we guess that uh, you know, some province-wide rules are on the way? It would seem that they are. And your conversation with Dr. Richardson was saying, uh, she was saying that, you know, they're having um, these discussions amongst themselves. And uh, yeah, it has to come down the pike from the province. So what could we potentially be looking at? What, what does your gut tell you? Well, I think that the most obvious one would be, things would be guidance around the gathering sizes, which, which we've heard about. We might be seeing some lowering of capacity um, limits at restaurants. I like the idea in Kingston where they were shutting down alcohol sales a little bit earlier. Um, so trying to um, you know, prevent that, those larger gatherings where the variant can spread quite quickly. And so th- this may be somewhat similar to what we saw at the onset of Delta, certainly in the, the first or second wave, not, not necessarily lockdowns, but those restriction or capacity limits. I think that makes sense. I don't see any threats around retail and, and those type of things that we saw before, but I think that the um, government's going to have to take a really good look at just limiting contact between people, large groups of people in public spaces. A big call, for example, will be with respect to the Leaf and Raptor games. Um, I'm not sure what they're going to do there. But anyway, I think that the government is quite quite smart on this. Um, yesterday, Dr. Moore didn't say that much about um, restrictions beyond long-term care and so on, but certainly was telegraphing that there's more to come. Well, you mentioned the Leafs and the Raptors, and we, we've seen in the sports landscape, especially with those two leagues, the NHL and the NBA, that more and more cases are popping up. You know, most, if not all, of the athletes in both those leagues are fully vaccinated, and we're still seeing some cases. So this thing seems to be nearly unstoppable from a case count perspective, and it could force some leagues to press the pause button as well. Well, absolutely. That's probably going to happen. I guess tomorrow's Raptor game is um, postponed already. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, the, 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 the real concern is that while we're learning that the illness is not as severe under Omicron, but just the vast numbers will mean that there's a larger probability that there will be more severe cases, and that could really put extra strain on our healthcare system. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Ryerson University Associate Professor James Thiessen joining us here. Um, One thing that uh, I think Dr. Moore did say that uh, was a little reassuring is that we won't need to cancel Christmas gatherings. Might might be forced to have, you know, smaller gatherings, but at least we'll have a Christmas, which was very different from last year. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, this is a real bump in the road on the way to us learning how to live with this pandemic as it becomes endemic. You've heard the, the term. I think that we obviously can't anticipate this, um, the threat of, of an Omicron like a, like a variant like this, but we're going to have to buy some time, uh, manage this thing, get some booster shots in people's arms, and hopefully we can learn in the next year to live with this um, COVID, which is going to be around for a long time. A booster shot announcement on the way later on today with Premier Doug Ford at 2 p.m. today. How how is this a game changer? Is this booster shot a game changer in terms of slowing Omicron? It seems to be, um, and certainly in terms of preventing severe illness. I mean, when you think about it, Rick, can you imagine a year ago we'd be talking about our third shots. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we were just seeing the um, you know videos of people getting the first ones in early December, and now we're thinking about our third shot already. It's it's. Well, it's been frustrating and it's been a very um, devastating um, pandemic, you really have to salute the scientists for um, coming up with these pandemics and the manufacturers for producing so much that we're able to provide boosters to people. It's just remarkable when you think about it. It, it very much is. And actually, today is the one-year anniversary of the first uh, vaccine dose to be delivered in Canada. So it's uh, it's a bit of a uh, an anniversary that we can look back and say, wow, that was a magical moment. And certainly um, a year into it, we're still chugging along. Um, James, appreciate your time. Thanks for chugging along with us this morning. Well, thank you very much. And I'm glad that you're still standing. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trying our best. Thanks, James. Okay, bye-bye. James Thiessen, Associate Professor, Global Management Studies and Director, Master of Health Administration at Ryerson University, uh, sharing some of his thoughts on uh, Omicron and uh, the booster shots that are on the way. Yes, 2 p.m. today, uh, we will bring you uh, Premier Doug Ford's news conference as he uh, gets set to make an announcement regarding booster shots. And let's hope that it is a, uh, a quickening of the delivery. Maybe VAS or VAS, mass vaccination sites are going to be uh, rekindled and restarted because we saw waves of people um, come into places like First Ontario Centre, many other locations here in Ontario to get their shots en masse. And um, that might be one of the strategies that the province does impose. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. COVID-19 has hit uh, many hard, whether it's uh, businesses, schools, the healthcare sector, certainly uh, not-for-profit agencies, charities, organizations also impacted by this in in several different ways. Number one, you know, donations, as we know, have uh, tumbled. Uh, there's also a new wrinkle to this. Uh, to explain, here's James Vanderberg, the executive director from Welcome In Community Center. James, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Rick. It's great to be here this morning. Thanks for joining us this morning. So there is a, a, a different or new impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on nonprofits. It might not be new for you because you've been dealing with it during the pandemic, but this has to do with volunteers. What's going on? Well, it's easiest to explain in the context of Welcome In Community Centre, which is where I work, obviously. Um, but I think it's true for almost every organization that I connect with and that we partner with. Volunteers are hesitant to return to their positions. If you look at Welcome In uh, prior to the pandemic, we were a, a small staff team of six with 450 volunteers running multiple programs, children's programs, which are supported by Tree of Hope, by the way, um, and, of course, seniors programs and our food bank. 
And fast forward through the pandemic, of course, we had to restrict in-person volunteering. And we peaked as an organization at 17 staff. So imagine basically tripling your mm-hmm. staff uh, and the cost of that entail. But even as the pandemic, um, well, I don't know if it's subsiding right now, but as it's kind of subsided, we are still facing a fiscal year where we're going to have increased staff. We're going to be facing staff uh, demand of 10. So our ta- staff team has continued to grow, which means our operating budgets are much higher than they were before the pandemic. So not only have you lost volunteers, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming it is now hard to get those people back as well as the pandemic continues and now the Omicron variant has arrived. It, it has been hard to get them back, uh, and understandably so. These, At least in our case, a lot of our volunteers are community members who uh, access our programs and want to give back uh, to the community that is serving them. They also want to serve, which makes them, in our case, particularly vulnerable. And so many of them uh, were told, or most of them were told, to no, have no in-person volunteering. And their health and safety is important to them. Um, and so they're worried. They're worried about Omicron vir- variant. They're, they're worried about Delta when that was coming out. And so if you look at our food bank, our food bank used to have 80 volunteers serving in it uh, alongside one coordinator. And we now have six staff. Uh, six of our 10 staff are just in our food bank alone trying to make up the loss uh, of volunteers. Um, so we we are uh, orienting them and operating in adaptive ways and trying to get people back into their volunteer positions and trying to ensure that it's safe for them. Um, but it is a challenge to convince them that it's safe to return to their work. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton is James Vanderberg, Executive Director of the Welcome In Community Centre. We are talking about the impact that the COVID-19 pandemic has had on volunteers who are obviously, and rightfully so in many cases, hesitant to go back to volunteering. This obviously impacts the bottom line as well. You have to hire more staff. You're taking away from uh, money or opportunities or endeavours that could go to serving the community, right? Yeah, absolutely. Our, Our bottom line... Um, our annual budget is uh, looking like it's going to increase over $200,000 from the uh, pre-pandemic levels. So that's a significant increase. That's a lot of grants, and that's a lot of donations coming in from individuals to make up for that lost hours uh, offered by volunteers. So volunteers, what volunteers don't often realize is that they are absolutely essential to nonprofits, and they drive the nonprofit world as much as any grants and donations do. So to lose those volunteers and to lose that base for all the nonprofits across the city, it's particularly challenging. You mentioned you had at one point 450 volunteers. How many have come back? Well, we managed to keep a hold, like Welcome In pivoted really well, I think, um, and we managed to keep a whole number of them, well over 150 volunteers still running during the pandemic, uh, mostly calling seniors um, and connecting with them remotely just to break down that isolation. Um, We kept our volunteers doing contactless deliveries of food hampers to community members who couldn't leave their homes or, or for whom it wasn't safe to. So we managed to keep a whole number of them doing contactless deliveries. 
Um, and we've managed to pull back in, uh, I don't have exact numbers, but I would guess we've managed to pull back in about 60 volunteers into the different programs. Our children's program, our after-school program is now operating on site, and we have a, a good handful of volunteers every single day working with the kids. So they it's not that they haven't returned, it's just that they haven't returned to pre-pandemic levels, which is, of course, the the challenge those that have we are so grateful for we actually have been thanking them all week during this holiday season um, for helping us survive this very difficult uh, pandemic and and they uh, they are champions uh, of this whole thing so we applaud them and we don't want that this story to be one of you know disappointment that the volunteers haven't returned many many have um, but we're still running at operating levels that are far lower than before the pandemic. We've got about 30 seconds here, James. If someone does want to volunteer, how can they go about doing so? Well, they can uh, email ruth at welcomein.ca. That's our simplest one. Our volunteer coordinator's name is Ruth. But I would say welcome in is not the only one, so make sure that you check whatever volunteer opportunities are in your neighbourhood at local not-for-profits. They all need support right now. So... It's not just about Welcome In, it's about every organization in the city of Hamilton. Well said. Hopefully we can drum up a few more volunteers for you and other organizations in this town that do a a tremendous amount of work, and we thank you for doing so. James, thanks for the time today. Thank you. Have a great morning. You too. James Vanderberg, Executive Director of the Welcome In Community Centre. You can find them online, welcomein.ca. Volunteer, volunteer with uh, another local organization you feel that uh, is close to your heart and, and needs a little bit of help. Certainly the pandemic has impacted those organizations as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Let's chat a little bit about housing affordability and an upcoming summit tomorrow on housing in this province. Premier Doug Ford will gather together some of his merry mates to chat about what should be done to combat housing affordability. Now, the Prime Minister has been invited. I haven't yet heard whether or not Justin Trudeau will attend this summit. Uh, Sabrina Nanji is the founder of the Queen's Park Observer and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Sabrina, good morning. Morning, Rick. Thanks for having me. Have you heard whether Justin Trudeau is going to be a part of this summit? You know, uh, no, that remains to be seen. The The PM has not RSVP'd either way yet, uh, but he, as you mentioned, he has been invited to this housing affordability summit that Premier Doug Ford is hosting along with his municipal affairs minister. Uh, they're going to be chatting with big city mayors and other municipal leaders to um, tackle, you know, something that's really shaping up to be a major issue ahead of the provincial campaign. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much of a fight it's going to be between Ontario and Ottawa. I think everyone's kind of on the same page that this is a, a major issue, but don't forget that this is all happening against the backdrop um, of Omicron and and the pandemic. Um, and, you know, even today, we're changing um, on the fly here at Queen's Park. We're getting an announcement from Premier Doug Ford, uh, you know, expected uh, more, more pandemic measures coming in. We know that he also did chat with the Prime Minister about this um, last night and maybe some federal measures. You know, I Uh, I don't know if housing came up, um, but certainly that's going to be one of the questions that we'll have for the Premier later on this afternoon. With this uh, Housing Affordability Summit coming tomorrow, what do you expect to come out of it, and and will it be a one-size-fits-all kind of plan? Um, No, that's a great question. I mean, there's uh, this is going to be maybe focused maybe on more um, urban development, you could say, because we are with some of the big city mayors here, uh, rural 
more remote uh, municipal leaders, they'll have their uh, chance to talk about the province and, you know, what they're looking for uh, early next year. Um, but right now there's a whole raft of stuff um, and different angles that can be looked at here for housing. Um, and like I mentioned, you know, this is going to be a big plank for all the provincial parties leading up to 2022. Um, this could be anything from, you know, ending nimbyism, those folks, uh, not in my backyard folks who oppose certain developments to uh, tax credit incentive for first time home buyers. Um, we've already heard, you know, the premier, uh, uh, you know, saying that he's willing to bring in a foreign home buyers tax uh, province wide if, if the feds don't move on that, uh, you know, that seems to be uh, one line in the sand. Um, what I'm hearing from my sources is that there's going to be some type of legislation from the Ford government to, to kind of address this housing issue. They've got their task force um, in place. Uh, Ontario Real Estate Association had Tim Hudak, a former conservative leader, uh, it is, is on that. Um, I think he'll have a big voice as well. Um, and, and what we keep hearing from Tim Hudak is all about this so-called missing middle, building more housing. So it, it will also tackle that. But this is a huge, um, a huge policy issue that can that can be um, you know addressed in a lot of different ways. So I think this is kind of the start, uh, the, the start of that conversation. Um, one thing that I, I think is kind of a uh, what, what a lot of people are expecting and, and what my sources are saying is, is almost certain is some type of mechanism that will come out of this housing summit that uh, will address how long it can take to get a permit at the municipal level. And that's probably what a lot of local leaders will be um, paying attention to in the coming days with this summit. Uh, we've heard the premier railing about the log jam um, at the local level where it can take, you know, three, four five years to get a permit to build a house. And in the meantime, the cost of labor and, and building the market, everything's shooting up. So I think they're going to really tackle that. But at the end of the day, you know, they aren't the first government to try to do it. Uh, and it's a it's a big it's a big uh, it's a big problem to address. So I, I'm I'm curious to see wh uh, where this all shakes out. Yeah, the red tape is certainly a huge issue in all this. And and one thing you did mention as well, the missing middle and the, the Toronto uh, Region Board of Trade just came out the other day saying that uh, we should be looking at building all sorts of different types of homes in all sorts of neighborhoods. You know, eliminate that exclusionary zoning kind of plan that's been with us forever, basically. Um, uh, there's a lot of residents in a lot of neighborhoods in, in this city and many other cities who would push against that. How seriously will this be looked at? Yeah, I mean, this one, uh, I think th this one gets kind of complicated, too. I mean, it's a bit in the weeds. Uh, it's not, you know, the, the sexiest issue zoning um, when it, it doesn't necessarily grab headlines. But at the end of the day, I think for the public, you know, they're just kind of seeing housing prices is looking at the market, um, especially younger Ontarians too, we're hearing them, you know, just kind of giving up on, on buying a house in the GTA or even other uh, parts of the province um, over in Hamilton as well. And, you know, they're packing up. They that That is going to be a huge problem on so many levels for, for Ontario going forward, you know, even on the, on the labor side of things. So I think that while every region is different, there's going to have to be some province-wide measures um, that, that can kind of look at this. Obviously, the housing market in Toronto is a lot different than North Bay. But I think that you can um, apply some of these same principles. You know, I think that's why it will matter to kind of bring together all these mayors from different parts of the province to see what can actually be done here. 
Um, and, and it is, you know, a lot of it has to do with kind of that red tape that you talked about. It's not as simple as, you know, here's some land, let's go build on it. We'll also have to unlock more land, which um, is a bit complicated because the Ford government has also promised not only to not cut into the green belt, but to expand it in parts. Um, so, you know, there has been some controversy with some of their infrastructure planning. Of course, a couple of uh, highways, the Bradford Bypass and Highway 413, that there's been, uh, you know, some concerns over uh those veering into the green belt but on the housing side of things um you know it it, it will be uh, difficult to get a consensus but i think that there are some things like for instance the uh foreign home buyers tax bringing that at 20 percent province-wide that it's about addressing this um from different aspects and so we might see you know some some things done on a regional basis um for maybe the hotter housing market spots the gtha for instance and uh, maybe some different measures like up north or more rural and remote areas it's gonna be interesting to watch sabrina thank you for your time today enjoy your day and it's sabrina that's sabrina nanji founder of the queen's park observer you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml we are provisioning an additional $4.5 billion to pay for possible further costs of fighting Omicron and other COVID-19 surges, including spending on border measures and income and business supports. That is the voice of Federal Finance Minister, Deputy Prime Minister Krista Freeland, We're delivering her fiscal update yesterday, and some of which appointing to the fight against the COVID-19 pandemic and the emergence of Omicron. What else came out of the latest fiscal update? Well, let's ask our next guest here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He is the chief political correspondent with Global News, and his name is David Aiken, and joins us now. Good morning, David. Hey, good morning, Rick. How are you doing? Good, yourself? Good, thanks. What's your biggest takeaway from Ms. Freeland's update yesterday? Well, I think you just touched on it. You know, the, the, the country, really, the country, the province, uh, your household, my household, um, all consumed by this, this latest variant, the, the Omicron, the Omicron variant, that uh, is uh, sweeping through Europe and uh, looks like it's here. And we've got community spread now. That's Teresa Tam, our chief medical officer, saying that yesterday. And so in the fiscal update yesterday... There was uh, about $28 billion in new spending, spending we, we had not uh, put on the books yet, the government outlining $28 billion. And most of that was to deal with whatever's coming at the pandemic. There was about $13, 14000000000 billion for general pandemic spending, and that would be buying boosters, uh, buying pediatric vaccines. That includes $1.7 billion to buy rapid tests. And we've seen a lot of provinces are already ramping up rapid test programs. They're still waiting for Ontario, um, you know, what they might do. But in Alberta, I think this morning, they're going to be announcing handing out, you know, a couple of boxes of these rapid tests. And I don't know if you've tried one. If you, if you want to buy one, you know, they can be like about nine, ten bucks per test. And you probably want to be taking one every couple of days, possibly, uh, if you're going through uh, in an area that's got a high level of infections. So Alberta's giving them out for free. Nova Scotia's got a free program. You go down to your local library, it'll give you a rapid test. Quebec's got a program. And so the federal government is saying, hey, we'll, we'll buy them. We've got $1.7 billion to buy them, but it's up to the provinces to put a place, program in place to get them out. So I, I think we'll, we'll be looking at that in, in the next uh, day, two, three, uh, by the end of the week, perhaps. So that's that's that. And then you just heard the, the clip from the Deputy Prime Minister and Finance Minister, Christopher Phelan, say, Okay, now, if Omicron itself causes a problem, 
we're going to put aside $4.5 billion in case we have to deal with that. And that would be actually to support any communities or businesses that do have to go into a lockdown. Lockdowns are all the decision of a local public health authority or a province. The federal government doesn't impose lockdowns, just the province or a local authority. But what the feds do is saying, we got the money to make businesses stay whole, employees can stay whole if someone's got to go into a lockdown. And who knows, there might be some more border measures. And the premiers got together on a phone call last night to hash out some things about that. Still no firm decision yet, but we're expecting the feds, that's their that's their business, is that they might have something to say about borders. Should mention for anyone who did not see uh, Minister Freeland deliver her fiscal update, she did so remotely, which should be noted as well. Yeah, and it kind of underscores the point about we're consumed with Omicron because earlier in the day, two of her staff members uh, tested positive using a rapid test uh, for COVID. So they'll be off when you get the rapid test, that's the way it works. If it tests positive, you're going to go get the PCR test. That's the most accurate of the tests. But until then, you got to self-isolate. People who you're in close contact with should self-isolate. And that's why Minister Freeland had to essentially deliver her, her speech virtually in the House of Commons. And the fallout from this Omicron now, you know, we've been trying to get the House of Commons and MPs back as much as they can in person, in-person caucus meetings, in-person committee meetings, in-person House of Commons. Uh, MPs I speak to say that in-person component is really important when you're trying to do politics. But the Liberals, and it looks like the NDP, are now putting that on hold because of Omicron. They decided yesterday, right, everybody, let's go back to just doing Zoom meetings. They'll have a reduced presence in the House of Commons. Uh, it's it's Wednesday, and that means it's caucus day this morning. Every Wednesday, that's what they do. They meet behind closed doors in their own caucus. So the Liberals going to do that virtually. The NDP probably virtually. The Conservatives and the Bloc say they'll respect public health rules, but they'll they'll you know be masked and they'll probably still meet in person. But that's that's the effect immediately on you know life on Parliament Hill right now. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. We're talking about uh, Finance Minister and Deputy Prime Minister Christopher Freeland's latest fiscal updates. Uh, also included in that update yesterday were or was some money for reconciliation efforts. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I mentioned $28 billion in new spending, but there were two other items that are not uh, COVID-related. And one is, yes, uh, the government has set aside $40 billion over the next five years, and that's going to include $4 billion in the current fiscal year, uh, especially to what they say is address past harms and discrimination when it comes to First Nation child welfare. So a couple of things there. The, the government's been in court. Uh, it's been sued by... Um, basically those uh, children and families of kids from the 90s on, this is not residential schools, this is the whole foster care issue. So kids on First Nations reserves taken out of their homes in the 90s, put in foster care to much the same harm that occurred to people in residential schools. And so they sued and they, they have a ruling that says they're going to do some compensation. So they're going to get some compensation and the government set aside a pile of money to pay them. Uh, there's, there's still to be worked out exactly how much each person will get. And then on top of that is some, some reforms are needed uh, to improve the health and welfare systems on reserves for First Nations kids. And so that's what the money will also be used for. So that's $4 billion. And Then I mentioned the other sort of new spend uh, is we got to think about our, our friends out in B.C. They just had the worst year for natural disasters. All those fires and destroyed towns and then, of course, the recent flooding. 
And so the feds have said, here's $5 billion to help rebuild D.C. So that's where all the new spending came. Still a big pile of red ink at the end of the year for those who care about deficits, which, to be honest, is not a whole lot of people in the electorate these days. But the deficit's going to come in at about $144 billion. That's the puddle of red ink we'll have left uh, on March 31st, the end of the fiscal year. What we didn't hear was uh, any plan or money for uh, housing affordability. That will come uh, most certainly in the spring budget, and we'll wait for that. And when that comes down, we will certainly talk to David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent with Global News. David, thanks for your time today. Enjoy your day and safe driving. Thanks very much, Rick. You have a good day, too. Cheers. You, too. That's David Aiken, Global News Chief Political Correspondent, breaking down yesterday's federal fiscal update from Finance Minister Christia Freeland. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Today is a big day in the city of Hamilton and a massive one for the CHML Christmas Tree of Hope campaign in support of the Children's Fund. It is three cent a later day at Pioneer, and Michael Stevens is the territory manager with Pioneer Energy and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Michael. Hey, good morning, sir. How are you? Not too bad yourself. Oh, very good, very good. We're excited. Our big day is here. I will have to say thank you very much to Pioneer Energy for partnering once again with the Children's Fund. Uh, More than half a million dollars has been raised over the past three decades. So thanks for being part of the fund once again. Yeah, no, it's exciting. It's hard to believe, isn't it? I mean, I haven't been with the company through all of it, unfortunately, but I have the tail end here, and it's been incredible. It's been a relationship since 1988, as you say, half a million dollars. And uh, last year, we were able to do $30,000, and we're really hoping for a banner year. We're hoping to help out more than ever this year. This is certainly an exciting day. Is there a buzz at Pioneer Locations? Yeah, so we have uh, basically the Golden Horseshoe. So if any, any sites we can visit from Burlington down through St. Catharines, Niagara region, up around Lake Erie, up into Brantford. We have 41 locations uh, involved this year. So as I said, three cents anytime today on any fuel, uh, regular premium diesel, what have you, we will donate. So we've, we've added sites. So we're up to 41 for this year. That's amazing. Why is it important for Pioneer to give back to the community? Uh, you know, it's simple. 1956, Murray Hogarth started the business, and the only reason this lasts is the community stood behind us. So we're very proud to give a little bit back. I mean, they've been so good to us for these years. Uh, you know, it's the least we can do. We're excited to help, and there's nothing more important than the children through the holidays. And, you know, we've got 6,000 kids going into the food banks. It's, it's you know, it's heartwarming. Uh, it makes us, it's just wonderful for the community. We're proud to be a partner. Great to uh, have it on December 15th as well. It's it's payday for a lot of people today as well, which, uh, you know, goes in hand in hand to, to visit a uh, local pioneer to fill up the tank. And uh, three cents from every liter of fuel sold today will go to the Children's Fund. And, you know, while you're there, why not pick up a journey card? I have my, one myself, and it is uh, it comes with a lot of great rewards. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, actually, we've had a lot of good feedback with it. It's doing quite well, so... We appreciate it, and it is. And uh, lastly, I would just say once again, we're so proud to be partners. Um, it's quite simple. You just come into the stations, you fill up today, three cents is donated. If you need to get your fuel anyways, we're just trying to keep it as simple as possible. And as I said, we're really hoping to break that $30,000 benchmark this year. So we appreciate everybody's support in advance. Thank you very much. It's going to be an awesome day. Michael, thank you for joining us today, and uh, good luck with Pioneer 3 Cent a Leader Day. Thank you so much for having us. 
That's Michael Stevens, Territory Manager at Pioneer Energy. Yes, any Pioneer location in and around the city, really around the Golden Horseshoe, is participating today. Or three cents from every liter of fuel purchased will go to the Christmas Tree of Hope campaign in support of the CHML Children's Fund. Uh, if you're not out and about today, or maybe you're you're listening way out of town, you can still donate to the Children's Fund by going online to 900CHML.com, or you can text the word DONATE to 30333. That's 30333 and donate 5 or $25 to the Children's Fund. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.